This is K-12 Tech Talk. K-12 Tech Talk. The podcast by K-12 Techs for K-12 Techs. Real conversations, real arguments, and real banter on trending K-12 technology topics and issues. Live from the somethingcool.com studios, this is the K-12 Tech Talk podcast. This is episode 13, 113. I am Josh. With me as always is Mark. Always. 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 And on spring break, but he is dedicated, so he is with us tonight as well from the Texas-Arkansas state line on special assignment, Chris. Absolutely. I'm visiting my wife's family. We're in Texarkana. I'm actually sitting uh, in our vehicle outside because the family's all gathered and they're like, Chris, what do you have to do? And I've had to try to explain what a podcast is way too many times already. (laughs) And I was like, I think I'm just going to go step outside. (laughs) So so uh, just in case you are wondering tonight, Jeremy has replenished the green room tonight. Uh, I believe Mark has had uh, a, a few beverages tonight already. I can see it in his eyes. He's got he's got crazy eyes tonight. And, sorry, sorry, sorry. I am uh, I am enjoying some bourbon, of course, from uh, thank you, Jeremy, from somethingcool.com. Jeremy does Jeremy and his folks over the cooligans, as he calls them, do a bunch of different things, uh, including PII training. He can sell you hardware. He can sell you software. Check out Jeremy at somethingcool.com. And yes, that is his email address. Jeremy at somethingcool.com. Chris, I know you've been on spring break. Have you had any uh, shenanigans, any drama this week? I don't know how how in tune to work you were this week with spring break. No, I've had, I've had like none. Uh, we had that Missouri safety grant. I know there's yep. a federal one posted as well. That's not due till May. The Missouri one was due this week. So I chugged through that uh, and then looking into the, that federal one as well. Uh, that was it called COP? COP. Like COPP? Yeah, Cops? COPP. Yeah. CPU, COPP grant. Uh, cyber, or it's not a cyber grant. It's a physical safety grant. So does that mean that, Chris, you missed the big outage of the day today? Yeah, and I was so excited <laughs> to have missed it. <laughs> yeah. Josh. Yeah, we... we Got a couple tickets about it. Um, I actually thought we would get more tickets about it. If you don't know, this is uh, April 6th. So today, Clever was down, what, Mark, most of the day? Yeah, I think from 9 a.m. Eastern time or 10 a.m. your time to 2. It was it was a good five hours, I think, it was down. I think it went down earlier than 10 our time because I, I got in the office about 7, and it was shortly thereafter that we started – I started seeing yeah. messages from other po- other folks around the state that they were having issues. Yeah, yeah. Did I think it, I think it, it was. No, they haven't said yet. It's still early in the issue. I think it grew. I think when we first started hearing reports of it, it was just a few people here and there. I actually, ironically, I heard about it from my wife first. Really? In, no. In, a, in, in an organization of like thirteen thousand employees, the first person who reported to me was my wife. Okay. Uh, now yeah. let, let's talk about that for a minute. Chris, you don't work with your wife anymore, right? You you don't work at your wife's district anymore. No, but she'll um she'll random like text me and be like, Hey, my tech guy's doing this. What would you say? Um, <laughs> or she'll email me and be like, Hey, 
this website's blocked at my school. Is it blocked at your school? I get that kind of stuff. I sense some attitude there, Chris. Are you, I don't think that's a fair assessment of your wife. I no, and that's not how she talks. Okay. Um, I didn't that's, think so. Yeah, that I that was all wrong. What you I were just, projecting. Yeah, I love it when she asks me my opinion on how her school should be running their technology program. Mark, so your wife works in the district with you. Yes, is she that's always... how we met. That's how we met, actually. Oh no, kidding. Yep. Yep. Huh? She needed computer help, and you were like, "Hey, let's go for beers." Uh we taught next door to each other for a oh, few that's years. Right. You were it, a teacher. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so does she, is she one of the frequent flyers that calls the help desk frequently? And she does. Does she really? I mean, I wouldn't say frequent, but she, she calls the help desk. She doesn't she save it for home and, and make you help her at home. Both. Both. Oh, yeah. So, so you get it yep. at work. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Does your, do you think your tech department like rolls their eyes at her support <laughs> tickets? Like, is she one of those? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good question the, to the ask. Answer, it, Mark, the answer is no. Good question. It's a good question to ask. Like, would she make that list? Like the top 10 list? I have some funny stories um, about my wife <laughs> calling my help desk. Uh, Mark, this is being recorded. Just stop. Just yeah. Don't. Yeah, we're done. We're done. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sorry, Mark. I'm sorry to put you into that spot. Okay. And I have to say, I we're, we're what, five minutes into this, 10 minutes into this. And Chris, I think, has changed seats in his car four times. See, now we have a, we have yet a different view um, out Chris's window. He's in a different This seat. reminds me of like early episodes when I was living in my parents' basement because we were building a house. Yes. <laughs> I remember that. And I'd be like, hey, I'm going to go sit in the van and record an episode. Yeah. Me, you, and that other guy. I can't think of his name. Um, yeah. No, I'm told that this vehicle is going to start moving here in a couple minutes. <laughs> uh, So, yeah, it was a crazy. So our overall topic tonight is going to be student data privacy or data privacy agreements. But before we get into that, I, I was um, Tuesday, I guess, this week. I had a, a webinar first thing in the morning about a grant and then some campus, uh, infinite campus training. Well, in the middle of it, you ever have one of those days where you where you identify a problem and you're like, oh, I'm going to look at this tiny little problem. And that tiny little problem just blows up in your face and it then becomes a several hour ordeal with about six other spawned problems that you have to address that are nightmares all into their own, but they're all part of this one giant um, nightmare. That That's what my Tuesday was. I was in two different conference calls at the same time and Google support in chat. And then they wanted to see my screen and do a screen share. So I was talking to this guy from Google while in a webinar. It, it was, it was a disaster. That's rough. But one thing I learned from it is I learned that GAM, G-A-M, if you are not if you're a Google Workspace user and you don't know about GAM or you're not using GAM, you need to be using GAM. I found a way, and this is also thanks to K12 Tech Pro, I found a way to script the finding or uh, indexing of Google sites owned by students or users in particular OUs, and then automatically delete those Google sites all in one command and script. Um, so if you are not using GAM, you need to be using GAM because it is a super, super powerful tool. Think PowerShell for Google Workspace is probably the best way I can explain it. Um, but yeah, that, that was one of those. I've used it for updating users. Yeah. 
I've used it for checking on some device information. Um, I did not know that you could do such a powerful thing with, with it, with Google sites. Yeah. You can, um, assign licenses. You can remove licenses, suspend accounts, delete accounts, archive, Google classrooms. You, you, you can do amazing things. And there's pretty good resources out on the web about what, what scripts and tools there are. Chris quickly before your car takes off, why don't you uh, tell us about absolute one of our newest sponsors on the show? I would love to talk about Absolute as my family enters the vehicle and they're told to be very quiet. Uh, Absolute, a proud new sponsor of the K-12 Tech Talk podcast. Hey, Tinley, do you want to say hi? You can you can jump in and jump in, right? Yeah, hi, they Finley. can't hear you. They can't hear you. You got to say it, like say it into this. There we go. Tinley right. with her first guest appearance on the podcast. So Absolute. Um, we're going to unpack them over the course of the next several episodes, but they can help you with your audit, uh, preparing you for audit, helping you to justify all those stimulus dollars that you spent, proving your ROI. Um, we're going to unpack that, how that works. I'm going to put a, a link in the podcast description uh, on an audit support video, how you can use Absolute to help you with your auditing. Awesome. And I think I'm going to get car sick watching your screen as the car moves. (laughs) Um, Can I ask a question to Tenley? Absolutely. Did she get my Flat Stanley book? And She has not received Flat Stanley yet, the last that the school um, told her. So, yeah, let's unpack that really quick. (laughs) I had no idea what Flat Stanley was or who he was. Right. Did you guys grow up with that? No, yeah, but my wife not grew her. up, but like, yeah, we know, we know what it is. You had experienced it before. Yeah. Um. So Mark did this awesome thing. Tinley did flat Stanley with her class, sent it to Mark, uh, which is this always weird thing to unpack that Mark in Boston podcast, blah, 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 whatever. And then Mark like went way up, like the, the bar was super low as far as I was concerned. I was thinking... <laughs> flat Stanley with like one picture. Uh, Mark took like 20 pictures, wrote a Google doc story. I mean, flat Stanley went all over the place. Did he end up on Mark's sailboat? No, we did it. We did it. We did a multiple state tour with felt. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Toured all through Boston. Flat Stanley is returning to Tenley's uh, classroom with books. There are books coming back about his, his journey. So will will Chris and I get a better, Tour than nope. Flat Stanley? No. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. Huh. Interesting. I've, yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. All right. Anyways, and anyways, back to Absolute. If you, <laughs> you have any questions, if you want to get more information about Absolute, Oliver said that I said his name correctly. Okay. You can email Oliver Schmidt. I feel like I'm I, I wonder though if I'm like having too much fun with his last name. But Oliver Schmidt. That's O Schmidt. At absolute.com. I think, could could you imagine, you know, one of our other sponsors, we, we're not going to get into this right now, but one of our other sponsors is Fortinet. And we came up with a great product idea for Fortinet that they, they did not like. Yeah. But could you imagine if Oliver worked for Fortinet, his email address could be oschmidt at Fortinet party.com like it would be beautiful i'm sorry oliver and fortinet and absolute 
you, you just gotta you gotta love the poeticness of the creativity is great though um i i know that this sounds like a normal podcast but i just want to paint a picture right now that we're watching chris <laughs> bouncing down the road yeah he's got I feel a like headset. i need to i need to make head. some google admin console settings <laughs> changes right now he's got a headset oh. on so he's got like like call center vibe going and he's <laughs> delivering an absolute you know spot here the laptop is bouncing around. We're seeing trees flying around the background and a kid <laughs> in the back seat. Yeah. It's 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 alarming. So Stephanie, your driving is terrible. <laughs> so speaking speaking of Google Admin Console setting changes, Chris, this might be one you want to check while while you're sitting and have a laptop in front of you while going <laughs> 90 miles down the 90 miles an hour down the road. Um we had a problem this week and it had to do with students attempting to join our guest network and they were the captive portal on the guest network was blocking line wise from phoning home and the extension from working properly. Long story short, that was one of the things that blew up in the morning that day. Um, long story short, I did not realize that one of the settings that you can take in Google admin console, when you go into your Wi-Fi settings, um, there's the setting that you can allow students or allow devices to connect to other SSIDs. Well, apparently in the last year or two, Google added a setting that says only allow the device to connect to non-defined SSIDs when that defined SSID is not in range. So when they're when they're at school and a defined SSID is in range, they can't join guest or they can't join the hotspot on their phone. But when they go home and that defined school SSID is not in range, they can join their home Wi-Fi. They can join a hotspot. They can join whatever. Um, I did not know that that option. Where is existed. that? It's Wi-Fi settings, um, connections, Wi-Fi settings. And then it's one of one of the settings in that area. Uh, if you like, really... click on the click on the setting. Uh, Mark, or sorry, click on the click on the network. Uh, no, Mark. Do you want to? I'll I'll find it real quick. Mark, do you want to intro our data privacy discussion that we're going to talk about tonight? Yeah, I just I do want to point out. It looks like Chris is very intent on his laptop right now. So I think he's actually changing settings in his google admin yes, console i i don't think we should encourage this this oh, seems we're gonna help him it'll be fine no but i i'm i'm looking for that okay so I, this was too good to not pass up jumping yeah, into google listen, admin while, while we're on the road his voice okay. is cracking and everything uh so right. i'm so excited <laughs> all right devices uh networks and general settings yeah uh, wi-fi networks that second option on that screen it says uh, the option I took, or the option says, restrict users to connecting to only the Wi-Fi networks configured in this organization. Restricted um, only if managed networks are in range is the you, option you, that I took. You that know, is awesome. You know, there's that like unwritten rule that you don't make a change on a Friday. Yeah, today's Thursday. Today's Thursday. Tomorrow is Good Friday. Yeah, um, but... and and Chris is on spring break, <laughs> yeah. and so I think there should be a written rule. Uh, that you do not make changes uh, before a long weekend while driving down the highway um, <laughs> in another state. <laughs> in another state. On the, the border of Texas and Arkansas. Um, but that's an amazing setting. That is an amazing setting. And Mark, I will argue with you because since they are on spring break, 
it won't take really effect until Monday. So it'll be Monday problem, not a Friday problem. So I rest my case. You lose. Should I wait? I should wait. You shouldn't wait. Just do it. Uh, So Mark, intro our data privacy stuff. Yes. So there has been various conversations on Reddit, various conversations on K12 Tech Pro about data privacy agreements. And it has also been a very key conversation in various conversations or various conferences like COSIN and K-12-6, uh, FETC, SC, data privacy has been a, a hot, hot topic. And so we thought we would unpack uh, a few of the key things that we think you should be aware of when talking about data privacy agreements. And we all have been through smooth data privacy agreements. We've all been through rough data, data privacy agreements where you feel like you're battling a vendor over uh, a single line here and there. So we thought we would do is spend a little bit of time unpacking data privacy agreements and giving you our kind of two cents about what are the things that you should be focusing on when you are signing or negotiating a data privacy agreement with a vendor. Yeah. Josh? Uh, <clears throat> so the first recommendation that I could make um is that if your state has an agreement with A4L or the Student Data Privacy Consortium, you need to leverage that first and foremost. Would, wouldn't you agree, Mark? Yeah, 100%. We we do the same thing. Uh, we have a Massachusetts data privacy agreement. We all have agreed upon terms. And it's great to be able to say to a vendor, Here's our data privacy agreement. I know you've already agreed to this with a whole bunch of other districts, and that smooths out most of. Well, and and like in the case of Missouri, <clears throat> what we have is our state consortium has kind of taken on the management of that, which is great because they're the, they're the single point of failure, or not single single point of failure, but the single single point of contact for that. And what they have done is they've worked with um, lawyers in their organization to set the standard for the DPA. They have the boilerplate DPA and what the normal and what it should just say, period. And that is that is the DPA that gets sent out on behalf of all schools. So um, it's it's super easy to say, look, you you pretty much have to adhere to, to, the, to the company. You have to adhere to this DPA because this is the standard for the state of Missouri. For all 540 whatever, whatever districts in Missouri, this is the standard. Now, that doesn't mean the vendor can't request that things be redlined or changed, but it's at least a starting point that is managed by a third party that has lawyers and and groups to kind of vet this document and make it a make it the yeah the the AFRA or AFRL organization that you mentioned uh, is something that uh, a, a neighbor of mine Steve Smith in the Cambridge Public Schools in Massachusetts really started and really spearheaded in Massachusetts and it's grown. Uh, if you go to their website AFRL, you're going to see a standard privacy agreement for your state. And you also get to see all the other districts and vendors that have signed on to that agreement. So it's kind of like they've already gotten the legwork done for you. And by jumping onto this one, you kind of get uh, the the legal weight of many, many districts in your state uh, behind this agreement. Yeah. So if the agreement, so there's, there's a, there's several parts to the agreement. There's a definition there's a disclosure of what information they collect, um, what their product does, what they do with the information. Um, and one of the parts of it, exhibit of it, is Exhibit E. And, and 
what that allows for is if the vendor doesn't make any red line changes and they're not doing anything crazy, they can say, we're accepting this document and we're, we're, we're creating this agreement with the initiating school. Say, say I create this document or I reach out to this vendor and I say, Hey, we want you to sign this DPA. And they're like, cool, let's, we'll sign it. No big deal. No questions asked. And they say, let's, we want to allow for exhibit ease to take place. What that means is since Chris is in Missouri, if he uses that same product, he can leverage the exhibit E that says, hey, I'm piggybacking off of Josh's district's agreement, and we're going to accept the same the same uh, standard for this document. And now we have a DPA as well. So it, it, um, it allows multiple schools to piggyback off of a single DPA. Now, when you have a vendor that does want to make a red line change or change a definition, uh, that's kind of when the exhibit E kind of gets thrown out the window it can it can work both ways when that happens um so yeah they're they're super they can be super efficient once that first school gets on i know more than half of the dpas that we've agreed to are actually dpas that uh other schools initiated um that we were just able to piggyback off of it it made it pretty easy yeah definitely really streamline our processes so that that organization is um, I think the website is privacy.afrl.org. Um, definitely a great website to go to. And as Josh mentioned, if you uh, are working in a state where that's been adopted, it really streamlines a whole lot of your agreements and really makes your processes a whole lot better. Josh, oh, I- where do you think Missouri is in that whole bit as far as like what our state is doing with student data privacy? Do you think we're ahead of the game, behind in the game, in the middle somewhere? Uh- I think we're probably in the middle somewhere. I I know that there hasn't been a push like this in every state, but I'll say that I don't believe Missouri is ahead of the curve because you have states like um, New Hampshire, which from what I understand is kind of the gold standard as far as student data privacy goes. Um, Apparently Massachusetts is, is quite ahead of the bell curve. I think somebody said North Carolina is as well. Um, you definitely have states that are leading that push. I know California has a ton of DPAs out there as well, but I think for whatever reason, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and I think it's North Carolina are are those ones that are definitely leading that pack as far as student data privacy and cybersecurity goes. Um, Missouri, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that they're doing it. And this is probably their third or fourth year that this has been going on. Um, and I think they're following that trail that those other states have blazed, uh, but they're definitely not languishing. So one of the things we want to talk about tonight, though, is what happens when that doesn't work out, right? So y- you have an agreement, a standard agreement, you provide that to a vendor and the vendor says, mm, not so fast. I'd like to make some red lines. I'd like to make some changes to the agreement. And they send it back. Where do you go from there? Now, not everybody has on-premise lawyers uh, Josh, Chris, what are your processes if you need to speak to a lawyer uh, or if you need to get an agreement looked at by a lawyer? Silence. Am I muted? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I had a great joke. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn. It doesn't It doesn't hit as good now that... Oh, goodness. No. Let's try this again. I can argue with the best of them. Um, 
but lawyers do intimidate me. So one of the first things I do is I remind them that this is a standard document with the state that I have no rights to edit, um, that they can request an edit be done. But when it comes back to me, I the the first, if there's any red lines or any requested changes, the first thing I have to do is send it off to the state consortium and let the lawyers at the state level take a look at it. And when I when I tell a vendor that, if they're kind of hem-hawing around about they might request a change, when I tell them that lawyers at the state level have to okay that, nine times out of 10, they kind of back off. And they're like, man, never mind. Um, this last week, though, or it's actually been going on for about two and a half weeks, I've had two of them that I have had to go back and forth with probably twice a day with, oh, we want to make this change and I'll have to send it off to the state and they'll come back with a response and I'll have to send it back to the vendor. Um, one of them wanted to change the definition of personally identifiable information. Well, our state people freaked out and said, look, tell them that they cannot do that because it is in state statute. The, the definition of personally identifiable information is in state statute and they do not have the legal ability to change state statute. So it has to be this. That's by far the weirdest and probably, and it wasn't like super confrontational, but it was probably the most confrontational conversation that I've had to have that has said, look, you absolutely cannot do this change. Um, once I brought up state statute and, and referenced, you know, RSMO, whatever, they backed off of that request, but it's, it's definitely the weirdest conversation I've had to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we put together a list of three or four, uh, kind of priorities. If you get to that position where now a vendor is saying, Nope, we're not going to agree to the state. We're not going to agree to the consortium, uh, agreement. Um, and now you're left with you or your lawyers who are probably high paid and paying you or charging you by the hour come up with a list of some priorities for you to think about. Um, and Josh, you really mentioned the the first one, which is around data ownership and data definitions. So you here you have a vendor who's trying to kind of nickel and dime you on the definition of what that data is. Uh, and I think our first recommendation really is to make sure that above all, whatever agreement you're looking at, whatever agreement you're negotiating, that data ownership, the definition of data ownership and the, and the, the agreement as to who owns that data that that stays with the district, that stays with you, and that you're able to safeguard that for your parents and your students to access. Um, and so, Josh, you mentioned an example of that. Um, I had an example very recently where uh, a vendor was uh, trying to adjust the language of our agreement to say that that agreement only covered the data that we sent to them via rostering, like kind of a one roster clever kind of situation. But we really are pushing back saying, any data that's created into this application or this tool is covered by the DPA. Right. And that really ensures that your student data stays with the district, stays with the students if they need to. So that's our first kind of major recommendation is making sure that data ownership stays with your district. Yeah. And I think one of the things that has changed recently with the, the A4L interface is um, they've started asking, there's a screen when you do a new agreement that asks for what data are they collecting and what data are they retaining? And the the two agreements that I uploaded today, 
um, it was interesting to go through that. And, you know, it's, you know, all the normal information that you would expect, like name. And But one of them I did notice said, had on there um, content created by student while using app. It's like, well, yeah, that that makes complete sense. So that, that yeah. speaks to that point, Mark. Yeah. Well, and speaking of, of, you know, students creating content kind of brings us to the next point, which is really around your right to terminate, your right yep. to leave that agreement, that leave that application, uh, including when students leave your district, their right to take that data with them. And so we really want to think about the second priority being protect your right to terminate uh, that agreement. And including in that, that's a very large umbrella, but that includes data destruction clauses, that includes termination clauses, as well as the student's right to take their data with them when they leave. And I think the the best example of this was the, was it the Pearson breach about two years ago um, when it came out that Pearson did have an incident and they had all of this data from school districts that had been using their testing platforms and there were districts that that came out and said, we haven't used Pearson in X number of years, and they still had our data, and it was still taken with this breach. So that's that's the other big point of these DPAs, is when you stop using that service, yeah. part of the DPA is you send them an, a notification that's part of the DPA. It's built in. You just you sign it and send it back, saying, we are terminating the agreement. We are requesting that all of our data be expunged from your systems. Correct. And that's part of the agreement that they're agreeing to, that they will do that when notified. Yeah. Now, okay, so Josh, what, what, one question that I have for you is, does metadata count in this? So if you are terminating your agreement with a company and you say you must destroy all data associated with this, metadata, I found that that has become a kind of a sticky situation. It's one thing to destroy a student record or destroy the, the right. vendor's access to a student record, but metadata, do you push on that? topic. That's going to be a sticky one. I I think it's going to be defined or it's going to, it's going to depend on how the data is defined in the DPA. So Mm -hmm. if they say they're collecting, um, I think one of the, one of the values was anonymized student or anonymized usage information. To me, that means metadata that that's the other kind of data that gets generated, generated with the use of the app or the website or service, whatever. Um, to me, yes, that, that, should belong as part of the yeah the third priority that we talked about is the uh, ability for the district to comply with FERPA. Now this is where I get the hair on the back of my neck sticks up. Y- you're as you as the district, you are the one who is responsible for complying with FERPA, not the vendor. Right. So I don't want to see a an, a, a a data privacy agreement that says that the vendor must be. FERPA compliant. That that just drives me crazy. It's the district's ability to stay in compliance with FERPA because at the end of the day, it's you, the district, that has to be held accountable if you're not complying with FERPA. You need to hold the, the vendor accountable. Um, but having language in there around that FERPA is the governing law around your student data and your student privacy really is important to make sure that that you're in compliance with that. Um, I really, it, it drives me crazy when I see uh, folks saying that, well, this application or this vendor is not FERPA compliant. It drives me crazy because it's not their point. The, it, the whole point of FERPA is making sure that districts stay in compliance with FERPA. But that's where I do think that a, that a data privacy agreement should at least mention and acknowledge that uh, that FERPA is the governing law 
that that oversees this data and that you as the district need to stay compliant and you're authorizing the vendor as a school official in, in the, the definition of FERPA um, to help you with that. And I think that's where people get hung up. FERPA for, are confused. FERPA applies to the school. The school is the one that has yep. to remain in compliance there. COPPA or COPA, however you, wherever you're from, however, that's the op, the opposite. The The website, the vendor has, has to be COPA or COPPA compliant there, not the school. Um, and that has to do with reselling data for profit, which again, comes kind of back to this data privacy agreement. Yep. So yeah, the school is the one that has to worry about maintaining compliance with FERPA. Yeah. The fourth priority really comes down to your breach protocols. And this is something that I think is going to gain a lot more attention, a lot more weight in the following years. And this, what I look at is if the vendor is breached, if the vendor breaches your data, what are the protocols that they must follow to comply with your internal processes? Now, this is where, Josh, I think when you talked about the state at the beginning, yep. this is where you can really lean heavily on your state's protocols. If you have strong protocols at your state to say, you know, and it could be very, very simple here where you're saying, if the vendor breaches the data, then the state that you're in, you as the district, those protocols must follow. And if you don't have strong protocols within your state or strong regulations and laws, then I think this is where you really need to define exactly what that means and what the vendor has to do uh, to comply with your breach protocols. Yeah, and that's that's where I feel like we're lucky because we do have this over umbrella with the consortium with the state that's managing these. So they know what the state statutes are as far as breach protocols for schools are. So those, they first thing, those were automatically in the DPA. I didn't have to worry about getting those in the DPA. That was automatically taken care of since it is coming from more or less a state level entity and, and that DPA is the same across the state. So yeah. if you're lucky enough to live in a state that has that type of management and someone at the state level is managing that you, you're in, you're in luck. You're, you yeah. really are in luck. It's that much easier for you. Yeah. And chances are you're working with a vendor that does not work in your state. They do, right. they do not own their, their, their data is not stored in your state. So I think that's really where it's important that you really identify the, the, the governing protocols or governing laws around your, your, your breach notifications. Um, and that's the tough part, right? Is when a when a vendor is breached, what is their obligation to notify you and remedy that breach? Right. Which nobody wants to address that. Yeah, because chances are they don't know what your state laws are either. So having yeah. it in writing that. So it's priority five, Mark. Well, that leads perfectly into priority five, which is indemnification and applicable laws. So what state is this overall? law governed by and and the most common problem that i have with privacy agreements is that the vendor wants this agreement to be governed by their state's laws and where we really push where we draw a hard line in the sand is that we have to govern this agreement in our state and we take a pretty common sense approach where we are a public entity in our state in the state of massachusetts i cannot be governed by the state of California or the state of New York. There's just no question about it. I can't expect my lawyers for our district to go to another state if if push comes to shove. And so that's one thing in all of our contracts and all of our data pri privacy agreements, 
the indemnification and the applicable laws have to be uh, on our terms. Um, and so as a public entity, you need to make sure that this agreement is governed by your state's laws and that nobody tries to slip in any language that says, well, we're just going to govern this in New York or New Jersey or California where the vendor lives. Nope. You are the public entity. You need to make sure that your state laws take precedence over everything. Uh, and that's breach notifications. That's, you know, should push comes to shove and you need to go to court. It has to fall under your state. These are DPAs are super, super tricky. And, and eventually in doing them, you will run across a vendor that's going to try and take advantage of, oh, this is just a tech director at a district. They don't know what the hell we're talking about. So let's yep. sneak in some language in here that they're not going to notice. You have to be super careful if they put anything, it's called the exhibit H. It's the one of the last sections um, in the document. If they put anything in exhibit H, you need to really, really, really pay it nine times out of 10 there. It, it will bite you uh, in yeah. the end. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, even if you, if you go to the A4L website and you realize that you're, you're in a state that's not governed by, or it's, that does not have a strong presence in A4L, you can look for one of the agreements and, and just know that these agreements have been looked over and have been reviewed and probably written by a lot of lawyers yeah. and they have a lot of weight behind them. And so using that as your starting point, sending that to a vendor to say, this is our agreement. Then when the vendor comes back and says, I want to redline this, I want to change this. Then you can see exactly what they're trying to edit and what they're trying to modify. And that's where you can kind of draw a line in the sand or make some changes. I think that the toughest part about this whole process is finding out if you're, what apps or websites your district's using and signing. This part of the DPA, while while it can be painful and time-consuming, like I said, these two took me probably two weeks, two and a half weeks to get done. Um, getting getting my head around what websites we or services we have contracts with yep. to use. Yeah. And then finding out after the fact, oh, hey, we need a DPA. That conversation about the DPA needs to happen before contracts are signed because that's the carrot and stick. Like you have to sign this DPA or we're not going to sign the contract, use your software. Whereas if if someone goes out and signs that contract to use the software and then you're trying to play catch up later and get the DPA signed after the fact, yeah. there's no stick with that carrot. Right. Um, it, so if you can, and I know that's super difficult because things are purchased and you're not always told, um, but just try and have, I, I found out by mistake by seeing a building wide email to one of our buildings. I'm like, Hey, has anybody thought about getting a DPA from these? And of course the answer was no, because I, I manage that and I didn't know they were getting ready to sign contracts. So, um, I think that yeah. happens everywhere. I mean, I, I think. And I and I I don't want to criticize vendors. I think that that vendors honestly had the best intentions, and they're really you know sometimes the salespeople are this is not their bread and butter. They're trying to make a sale. They're trying to close the deal, um, and then all of a sudden we swing in with a legal right. agreement, and they're saying, "Whoa, I wasn't expecting this." So, you know, it is something where you really do need to socialize this through your district, through teachers, through principals, so that as they're having the conversation. It's kind of built in that, hey, if you want to move forward with us, if you want to move forward into our district, this is an agreement you're going to have to sign. Um, and that needs to be part of the contracting process, not afterwards, because it, it will never, never get done. No. The good news is that 
I think this has caught on so much and has become so in a lot of cases, most vendors, when you say I've got a DPA that you need to sign, most vendors that that I've worked with in the last six months are like, oh yeah, no big deal. We know what that is. We, yep. we, if there's, we already know what the changes are, if we need to have changes done a year ago, a year and a half ago, that was a completely different conversation. What, what's a DPA? Our lawyers have to look at this. Yeah. It, it's, it's become a completely different conversation. They're used to. Totally. Is, yeah. So hopefully it becomes more of a, the vendor is asking, Hey, do we need to sign a DPA at some point soon? Because that would make it a lot easier as well. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to have a nationwide agreement. I think yeah, we're, we're things are moving towards that, but at you know at this point, with so many states are are just so different in, yeah. in how they treat student data, uh, that right now, you know, we we do have you know the worst case scenario is that every state has a different agreement, but at the same time, at least within your state, yeah. there is a small network of folks that have agreed upon language and and. If you are in a small district where you don't have the funds to pay for a lawyer for every single app that you want to buy, you have a standard agreement that has been negotiated by lawyers. So yeah. it's a it's a really good scenario or a really good position to be in if you can adopt one of those consortium or or community led agreements. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been I've been able to tap back into my inner network nerd, and I've uh, we bought a new building. We're spinning up a new. And I've been able to build the network from the ground up using extreme switches, of course. Dominic Mayer at Extreme Networks. Um, great switching. Super happy with the physical switching. I've been running Extreme for the better part of 10 years. Uh, super happy with my experience with Extreme. Um, also, I got a little nice FortiGate 80F, I believe, firewall out there that I did a, a site-to-site VPN with. So we got... Super cool setup going out there. We're ready to have kids in the fall. So if you are in the market for switching uh, some, you know, Gartner upper right quadrant net physical network, check out Extreme Networks, Dominic Mayer at Extreme. And if you are looking for some firewall, and they do more things than firewall. They do Forda extenders. They do Forda guard. They do Forda EDR. They do Forda voice. They do all sorts of things. Um, they don't make Forda explore you know my cars um so check uh email chris illingsworth i'm gonna uh what is it fortinet podcast at fortinet.com was the email i don't know we'll put it in the show description i'm sure i screwed that up sorry chris um but fortinet uh they saved my bacon years ago with a ddos attack they they were able to mitigate a ddos attack that SonicWall just flat couldn't touch they rolled over uh and fortigate came in and and just uh solved the problem for me. So we, I've been a Fortinet customer ever since. So if you were in that market, check out those two spaces. Mark, what else you got going? Easter weekend, are you guys on spring break? Are you getting a couple of days off? Uh, we have uh, Friday off. So we have a little bit of a long weekend. Nice. Um, but you said something just now that a listener asked me to include another trivia question. They liked my trivia question from last week. So they asked me if I can include another one. I don't remember seeing this email but okay no no it wasn't um <laughs> you called yourself a nerd yes and i was asked today what is the origin of the word nerd uh, where does it, it come from is it related to beer no hmm. no that's an interesting yeah word. beer nerd i will give you a hint it came from a book in 1950 and a very, very famous author coined the term nerd 
Uh, and it has, has grown to obviously uh, take on the definition of it. I, mean, of, I, uh, I thought it was Revenge of the Nerds, but you're no. going to have to tell me, Mark. What, no. what was the book? I'll tell you what. I'm going to read you the passage in which the word nerd was first used. You're going to okay. get it right away. I promise. <clears throat> and then, and this is a really hard passage too. So I apologize. Not in the right mindset here. <clears throat> And then just to show them, I'll sail to Katru and bring back an Itkutch, a Preep and a Prue, a Nurkle, a Nerd, and a Seersucker too. Is this uh, Dr. Seuss? Yes. Is it really? Yeah, Dr. Seuss was the first person who coined the phrase nerd. Huh. Did not know that. Is that your trivia for the week? That's your Forta quiz? Forta question? Forta question of the week. Forta quiz. I like Forta quiz. Um, You know who would have known that? Jeff at PDS. You know why? Because Jeff is a super smart dude. And so is Derek. And so is Ryan. And so is Andrew. Everyone at PDS is super smart. They have helped countless districts. And and really, they only work with school districts. So they know what what school districts need. Um, They know Aruba inside and out. They know ClearPass inside and out. Fortigate firewalls inside and out. Um, when I've got a problem, when I've got a question, Derek's the one I call. Andrew's the one I call. Jeff, uh, those guys know what they're doing. If you'd like, if you're in the in Missouri or Western Illinois region, or maybe even a little bit further and want some remote help, maybe I know Jeff has helped uh, people that don't necessarily live in the area with ClearPass questions because Jeff, I'm telling you, Jeff knows ClearPass inside and out. Um, email Ryan R at provisionds.com. Ryan R at provisionds.com. I promise you, you will be pleased with the experience you have. Uh, Mark, any closing thoughts for tonight? None. Nope. None. Well, I hope you have a good three day weekend. I am sure we will text at some point over the weekend. Oh, a couple other things K 12 Tech Pro. Um, so I know Chris yesterday said, or today, they have 25 states, a total of 25 states already in K-12 Tech Pro, um, over 200 users, I believe, in just a short two-week or two-and-a-half-week time. Um, That is where um, my GAM solution came out of Tech Pro yesterday with some, I don't know where the gentlemen were from. I didn't know them, so they're not in Missouri, Um, but they helped me out with a GAM problem better help than I got on Reddit. The responses I got on Reddit were nothing compared to the responses I got on K12 Tech Pro. So go to k12techpro.com, click the community tab, click join. Yes, there is a uh, a fee, but if you can't pay the fee, if you don't have any PD money or you don't want to pay the fee on your own, there is a sponsored option that uh, Chris has worked with some sponsors and they're graciously uh, paying for some people to join. So uh, if if you can't afford that or, or your district doesn't have money to afford that, take the sponsored option. I promise you will enjoy the content that is going on out there. And the best thing about it is everybody's vetted. So you know everybody in that forum works in K-12 tech. You don't have students and have admin in there. You've got K-12 techs in there. Um, Mark, we will be in your neck of the woods May 3rd at the New Hampshire CTO Clinic at the, what's the... I don't know. It's in Meredith. Meredith. It's okay. Like, on the lake. It's right on the lake. Beautiful property. If you are in the uh, New England area up there by Rhode Island, Connecticut, all those places, come see us. 
they said anybody can come. You don't have to be from New Hampshire to come. Uh, check out the New Hampshire CTO Clinic. It is uh, the COSIN New Hampshire affiliate. Uh, so I'm sure the the content will be great. We are giving the keynote, the three of us. It'll be the first time the Three Musketeers are together. Mm. Um, Lord knows. If you really want to go and you need a place to stay, I have an extra bed. Oh, so Lord. you could, no, I'm oh, sorry, John, no. You could stay with all three of us. It'd be fun. Um, yeah, I promise there it will be a spectacle to behold. And um, so yeah, we're we're looking forward to that. And I hear it's beautiful. Um, and they're they they say they they're rolling out the special bourbon. I was all yeah. excited about that. That's cool. Uh, so have a good long weekend. If you are a district that gets a day or two off around the Easter, listening.